And we're live. There was a little bit of a hesitation there. Sorry about that, dear listener. But hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. Uh, So without further ado, we're going to do a little bit of uh, some housekeeping for you, dear listener. You're going to notice a lot of episodes that uh, seem weird on which hosts are here. Uh, It is officially summer break for our kids as we record this and, you know, daycare is a thing and, you know, whatever. It it is what it is. So we'll we'll make it happen. So sometimes it'll just be me and sometimes my co-host will make it. But but they're still part of the show. I haven't fired them. Um, I did dock their pay. So they're only making half what they used to. But, you know, you do what you got to do. All right, Matt. Um, Are you ready for this? Sure, yeah. Let's go All for right. It. Can you, Matt, Matt Olerant, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Yeah. Uh, hi, I'm Matt Olerant. I'm a Thai American veteran of the U.S. Army. Used to be a, a cryptologic linguist for everything that came by. The Army taught me Arabic, and then uh, they decided they didn't need it anymore, despite, you know, the war going on. That's it. I'm out now doing doing my own thing. I'm here. I uh, write sci-fi and fantasy. You can find me on uh, Amazon. I got my own little author page going. JR has so graciously helped me out with that in the liner notes. Uh, I have two uh, short stories published as of the moment, one in uh, a Christmas-themed anthology, which I invite you to check out. I'd call it something like Tom Clancy meets Santa Claus, but uh, I think that's copyrighted. And the other one's a uh, post-apocalyptic short story. So uh, yeah, go ahead and check those out. I'm currently shopping a series of longer manuscripts around, uh, trying to go a little bit traditional on that aspect. But yeah, that's about me. All right. Now you said you're Thai. So I have to ask you, how does American version of Thai at the Thai restaurants here in America, how does that compare to what your family cooks? Uh, so I hate to say it, but uh, Americans, they add a lot of sugar into the uh, recipes and it's also much less spicy. Normally when I go in, I speak Thai to the people that are cooking and normally they uh, they gave me something that's a little more authentic. Nice, nice. Um I, I would ask that to anybody of, of any ethnicity if their food is uh, the American version of it. I took a class in college. It's the history of food. Uh, it was after my first deployment, but before my second one. So I was basically taking all the, the crib classes that they give to the football players. <laughs> so it was like literally the history of food. And we got to go to a bunch of restaurants that the school paid for and eat various foods. And one of the things we learned is that what Americans think of as, you know, Thai food or Mexican food or German food, it's really what their festival foods are and not what they eat every day. And yeah. so it sort of slants our opinion on what they eat. And in the same, that would be like if someone from Germany thought we had our turkey dinner every meal, like Thanksgiving meal was was every day. Wow. So I mean, I just that, a, no, that's pretty cool. Just, I mean, as a historical note. Yeah, no, I just I always think about that now when I talk to people of of various of various ethnicities. I'm like, does that match up with what you your authentic version of it? And most of the time, I think the answer has been no. When we add more sugar, I think that's pretty universal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Adam Stevens, you are next, sir. So, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Sure thing. Uh, Hi there, I'm Adam Stevens. I was born and raised in Southern California. I've been a jack of trades my whole life, uh, bouncing between construction jobs and installation jobs, paying for college to be a graphic designer and work in film and television. Uh, Eventually got back into writing, uh, honing in uh, the writing that I started with in film and television. Uh, Really just transferred from script writing back into 
writing full prose for my stories. I have a couple stories out right now. I have a Christmas story, a Santa story with uh, JR and his anthology. And I have another story that's a little post-apocalyptic short that's also up on Amazon. And I'm currently working on a few books right now myself, and hopefully they'll be published in time for y'all to enjoy them. And just as a note, because I don't know if you can see it on your screen, and if you're listening, he actually publishes as A.M. Stevens, so Alpha Mike Stevens. Um, but uh, but we're going to call him Adam for the show, and in the show notes, we will link to all the things, so that way uh, you can track along at home. Uh, all right. So, Jonathan, you got to see if you can hit the ball out of the park and do a better introduction than those two cats. All right. Well, here we go. I'm Jonathan Watson, also from Southern California, and I also have my short story published in the Christmas anthology. Um, and uh, I work by day as a network telco installer and technician, and by night I write. Um, got a couple books in the pipeline and a bunch more short stories. And uh, yeah. One of these days, someone's going to say something like, I enjoy long walks on the beach and all that kind of stuff when they introduce themselves, and I'm not going to know what to do with it. But but you guys kept it professional. I guess someone has to. Well, <laughs> that said, uh, before we even start, if everybody's seeing the banner ads, you can thank Adam for that. He's our uh, resident graphic designer. Yeah, they're nice. I like them. I like them. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we first found them. Uh, so I met Matt first and he's a, we have a weekly, we meet every Wednesday to check in accountability writing group where we just get on, um, well, we started on discord. I'm not sure what the program we're using now. I just clicked the link and it works. I think it's Google something. Yeah. Google um, uh, meets, I think. Yeah. And so we do a check-in, we talk about what we wrote in the past week, what our goal is for next week. And then we discuss writerly topics and we keep it under an hour. It's kind of fun. And then through that, we, we met Adam and they dragged Jonathan along for the ride. So hopefully he doesn't hate them for it. Oh, no. um, yeah, it's uh, it's good. And if you're, if you're interested in writing, cause these are writers talking to uh, people curious behind the scenes as a, as a new writers establish themselves with their podcast. Uh, if you're interested in that, um, those kind of accountability groups are are amazingly helpful. And generally, you can get some free beta reading uh, as you help each other out in the beginning. Um, my only caution for that is if you're looking for a writing groups, make sure their goals are the same as yours. Because if someone's writing as a hobby and you want to be a professional, you might find your um, your interests are not aligned enough that you can be helpful to each other. So with that being said, uh, we got to ask you the religion question. And we're just going to go in the... Um, in the order we did the introduction, but Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? So, Matt, you're first. I got to say Star Wars on this one. I'm a, I'm a fan of the old school style pulps, and I'm not really that much of a Western guy. So, Firefly is good. And, I mean, Star Trek is obviously a classic, but it's like a morality play with a sci-fi background rather than Star Wars, just pure action adventure and, you know, space wizards. But space wizards are cool. Just don't talk to me about the uh, midichlorians. <laughs> Yeah, we agree. All right. So, uh, Adam, what about you? Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Uh, it's got to be Star Wars for me. Uh, as much as I like the Western elements and Firefly, uh, the Western elements and Star Wars are just right for me. Okay. And um, now, because yeah, that was everyone. Did I, did I ask you, no, Jonathan? No, no, oh, no. You're oh. skipping me. Um, but. Uh, uh, we're gonna blame Matt because he's quietly muted himself, so he can't jump in quick enough, quack enough, quick enough. But yeah. uh, so, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly, Jonathan? Yeah, no, I'm I'm Star Wars too. We're kind of unanimous today. 
And uh, all right, yeah. the, the three movies were amazing. I really enjoyed them. I wish they made more in that universe, but sadly, all George Lucas gave us was three amazing movies. Yeah, yeah, it would have been nice if we got maybe some prequels or something. But I will also include the extended universe stuff that happened afterwards in book format. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The legends, the uh, yeah. joke society, yeah, the legends like Rogue Squadron and oh my god, those books when I was a kid. Mm. Yeah, they yeah. made the '90s popping. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. And the games like uh, Shadows of the Empire. Yeah, my. Uh... Didn't they have an Xbox game that was pretty cool too? Um, I'm trying to remember. There was Battlefront, a ton of games. I think. Yeah, there was a. There was, yeah, Battlefront. I remember playing that one on Xbox. That was pretty good. Yeah, my uh, my but... number one complaint and critique is that they had a perfectly good character in Kyle Katarn in the Jedi Outcast uh, game series from uh, Dark Forces, Dark Forces 2, and then Jedi Outcast and Jedi Academy. And they didn't have the friggin' balls to make a trilogy about him, oh. even if the other actors had been slightly older. We could have time shifted it all, and it would have been great. I mean, yeah, we could have a two-hour tangent on what could have been. Yes, yes, yes. But sadly, uh, they stopped caring about the fans, and they started trying to write other books and movies and just shoehorn it under the umbrella of George Lucas and that happens sometimes and I don't even think I know a lot of people say oh it's politics this or it's uh, you know whatever but I think what it really comes down to is they don't know the source material they don't care they're just trying to do their thing and slap the banner on it so it'll sell yep same thing happened <laughs> so, with the Halo show if uh, anybody's into that yeah the the one that was it Hulu that did it um yeah Paramount yeah Paramount and uh, yeah, yeah, there was just no passion. The passion was gone from the project, and it shows. Um, there was one of the the new Lord of the Rings Ring of Power that came out. That was the same. That felt a lot like Dragon Age, this, the game, like um, the RPG series, yeah. down to yeah. the way they did the insults for the elves. But somehow they slapped a Lord of the Rings on it, and it's like, this doesn't feel anything like Tolkien. I mean, if you took out the assumption that it was Tolkien, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I know it got a lot of hate. It wasn't yeah. great. I mean, I, I stopped watching it halfway through season one and I felt no comfort, no compulsion to go back. Hmm. But like, it wasn't horrible either. If they had just branded it as a new sci-fi thing or a new sci-fi, a new fantasy thing, like I'd have been there for it. It was, it was an interesting idea, but they tried so hard to pretend it was, it was Tolkien after the fact and it just didn't work for me. Yeah. I, I know some people who had like looked into the numbers and stuff like that. They actually released that, there's only a 34% watch through rate where if oh, somebody starts cool. it, only 34% of people ever finish it. I'm in that statistic. I tried, but I... it just didn't feel like Tolkien and I just didn't care for it. It's unfortunate. And, and like you said, JR, like if, if it had been branded as some other fantasy and just not been related to Tolkien, it would have been like eh, an okay show. And I mean, I'm all for the campy and the, and that's the other thing. If you, if you're not Tolkien and you and you try to take yourself too seriously, you better deliver because otherwise it just falls flat. But if you if you acknowledge your campy and you lean into it, like I'm all for it. Like I love those B movies, like the you know Nazi werewolves or the you know yeah. something ate my face alien horror hour kind of thing. Like I'm all for that. But yeah, all right. So since we've been talking fantasy, and because we're polytheistic here on the Blasters and Blades podcast, Game of Thrones, The Wheel of Time, or Coney and the Barbarian. So Matt, you first. I want to say Conan, but honestly, I've never actually read any of the Conan books. I've uh, played the Conan video game, Conan Exiles. That's actually pretty fantastic. Uh, but 
for what I have seen, Game of Thrones over Wheel of Time, I'd have to say. You know, if George ever decides he wants to write again. Yeah, I don't know. I can't do Game of Thrones because I have a rule. Generally, if the movie came out or the books came out first, I'll start with that and then I'll consume both. But I got to do the, the original first just so I can compare. Um, and sometimes if the movie's first, I'll, like I said, I'll watch the movie first. But knowing that I'm never going to get an ending to Game of Thrones, like why would I set myself up for that heartbreak of you know being left hanging? Well, with, uh, even with the worse, cliffhanger the TV so I, show has the most terrible ending where it's like i in the same way with star wars it's really good we got four seasons of that show everything else i don't know <laughs> yeah so all right adam game of thrones wheel of time or conan the barbarian i am solidly set on conan the barbarian because growing up my dad had a bookshelf full of pulp sci-fi fantasy novels and alongside john carter and tarzan was Conan the Barbarian, and I thoroughly enjoyed the books that I had access to at the time. And uh, oh, man, the Schwarzenegger movie is just too classic for me to hate it. Just kind of grew up with it in the background. So uh, the differences yeah. between the books and the movie—they don't phase me. I I love Conan. <laughs> um, I don't know when I watch for that kind of stuff where it's not like I said, it's not trying to pretend it's the next epic whatever. That it's just good, clean, wholesome fun. You know, stab the bad guys, good versus evil, and all that my expectations are not as high. So like I can accept that they don't line up because let's face it, much like you would draw art differently if you're tattooing it on your arm because your arm is curved versus drawing it for a flat screen versus trying to make it three dimension. Like every art medium is going to have variances in what is required to make it good. And that's sometimes means they don't, the images or the stories, they don't translate, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The Conan Although movie. Yeah. It's it's mostly a nostalgia thing for me, but yeah, the books. I'll I'll, I'll admit fully that the books are way better than the movie. It's just a nostalgia thing I've for me. The, I've I've watched the the Schwarzenegger version as a kid, uh, but I don't think I've ever read the books. I'm starting to do a kick where I get back and I read some of those classics. Um, that because I was so busy with school, I never had time for. Um, so that that's on my list. That and oh, Barsoom. Yeah. yeah, the the Conan books are very good and. Uh, Conan as a character is a little bit more intelligent than the movie gives him credit for or portrays him as uh, a lot of like sort of un, uh, unexplored wisdom. That's like runs very deep in those books. It's very yeah, I think people assume that if they don't live in modern society, like it's this, you see that when people try to think when they think about like not fantasy, but just like medieval times, they assume everyone was stupid until, until their generation. And so the, or they were dirty and illiterate. And so, you know, when you run into like, you know, the smart guy from the middle ages or, or the, the barbarian who's, you know, insightful, like people don't really know how to react to that because it goes against their preconceived assumptions but I don't think we've changed. I mean, technology has changed, but at the core, humanity is still the same as we've been for the past couple hundred years. So I, I think that works, having him be a little smarter than the, you know, we'll pump you up Arnold style. Oh, yeah. And then within like that time period, experience was what bred wisdom and knowledge. Yeah. That's something that everyone kind of overlooks a lot. Well, that and stupid people didn't live very long when the world is trying yep. to kill you at every turn. Correct. We didn't used to have warnings on batteries not to drink the battery acid, but now we do. And you see the result. <laughs> Don't stick oh. this in any orifice. And then you got to think like, what jerk? Like, who did that the first time? So they had to do the warning. Like, come on, right. people. Right. Don't always remember to throw those batteries in the ocean. 
<laughs> uh, don't do that at home, people. All right, so we don't get hate mail. We're going to move on real quick and hope they forget what Matt just said. And Jonathan, yeah, uh, Game of Thrones, Wheel of Time, or Conan the Barbarian? Yeah, of the three listed, Wheel of Time. Um, you know, I love, uh, uh, you know, the high epics. And uh, though, like personally, I like a more whimsical style of, of fantasy, like Howl's Moving Castle, things like that. Why is that? Um, it's it's just uh, uh, slightly lower stakes. The the stories are more fun. It's almost like there's uh, um, less a uh, no, little less tension, you know, than than the uh, than the typical, you know, gotta save the world type of stuff. Okay, yeah, that works for me. All right, so we here at the Blasters and Blades like both the fantastical and the scientific. But what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? You first, Matt. Uh, sci-fi, specifically cyberpunk. Like I grew up on uh, William Gibson, so near the Neuromancer trilogy, followed by like uh, I think I read the Bridge trilogy after that, and then uh, when the Peripheral books started coming out, I, I hopped onto those and started following the uh, TV series that came out a couple years ago, I think. Okay. All right. What about you, uh, Adam? Was it sci-fi or fantasy? It was definitely sci-fi in the beginning. Uh, the books I read were H.G. Well, like all of H.G. Wells' works, Jules Verne. So I started really old school, and then my dad lent me like copies of his Asimov uh, works. Um, but very quickly, I found, as I mentioned earlier, the the John Carter books, and right fantasy was not an, an initial uh, peak of interest until i got a taste of it through like the the pulp stories that edgar rice burroughs was putting out where he sort of started blending genres especially in the the barsoom series and so after that like i sort of branched down to fantasy and so I, now i have this sort of appreciation for both okay um yeah, I don't know. That's one of the things. If you're listening to your listener and you want to get involved or get involved, start reading some of the older or the classics. Um, a lot of those are available at, at for free or 99 cents as you know digitized reprints of the originals because they're in the public domain. A lot of them are. Um, the Gutenberg Free Press is another um, another option to get some of the classics for free if you want to start exploring. Um, so it's definitely worth looking at. You can generally tell that's what they are because instead of a cover, it'll be just um, just a monocolor with uh with the title on it but uh if you're interested in exploring the classics i highly recommend you check that out or whatever the library has for free ebooks that you can rent that way so yeah, another series i would interject with is uh the doc savage series uh oh. it was actually an inspiration for uh superman you know pre-superman when pulps were a big deal they called him the man of bronze and uh, his whole setup was that he was just some cool, awesome dude who had an entire floor in a Manhattan penthouse rented to himself. And he had a crack team of like a lawyer and anthropologist and some other friends that like go out on adventures. Nice, nice. All right, Jonathan, we don't want to forget about you this time. Nope, so, nope. Uh, yeah, so sci fi or a, fantasy? Uh, well, both definitely, but I grew up first with fantasy. Um, and I uh, played a lot of video games like Final Fantasy and things like that, but then reading books like The Hobbit uh forgotten realms um and the the black cauldron you know the piderian chronicles things like that um and then but i did grow up you know like watching you know 
Star Wars and Tron. Tron was one of my favorite movies and the last Starfighter of all time. I would watch those movies as a kid over and over and over again. Okay. Were you creeped out while they were, when he was the last Starfighter and he went away and they had the uh, robot thing oh, trying to assume oh, shape? Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. That's that the was first so time. It was creepy as hell at the time. Yeah. 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 The, he would pull off the covers and yeah, he'd be like half baked and just glowing with all those lights, like biomechanical luminescence. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah that freaked me out. And then half the jokes, um, I went right over my head until I watched the movie again as an adult. I was like, Oh, Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that happens a lot. Yeah. Uh, Adam and, uh, and Matt, did you guys watch the last starfighter? That is one of my all time oh, favorite movies. I wish. Yes. I, I remember I was, uh, I had just turned 16. Uh, and suddenly my relatives, uh, said, Oh yeah, we need to get something special. Cause 16, I guess is the age when people do that. But my, I think it was my uncle who got me, uh, a copy of the last star He's like here kid you'll like this and watched it i fell in love with it much like jonathan and yeah no and I, I wear the the badge of the starfighters proudly on my my truck at home i'm okay. actually the odd man out here i've never seen it oh i have so a bunch cool. of oh, random gaps now yeah yeah we'll force you to watch it later but yeah and then, you and know then you this... could actually since we're, you're listening to this, yet another writing podcast is the title of this episode. It's because they actually will be hosting a um, podcast focused more towards other writers, but also I think just having talked to them in the pre-show and in, and Matt on a regular basis, I think this is any nerd would enjoy watching the development as you guys kind of figure things out. So I don't think you have to be a writer to enjoy what they're doing. Having said that, now you've got an episode idea. You can do a review of that movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. So I think the, the book and movie reviews are kind of fun ones to do, and they're evergreen if you do them right. I mean, we did the uh, review of Starship Troopers like, oh, 2017, and then it got re-uploaded as one of our first uh, archived episodes when we rebranded. And I still occasionally get hate mail for saying that I like the movie. <laughs> uh, Fantastic. I, I actually... I actually found Heinlein through the movie and I like the movie better than the book, but the, if you accept the book isn't fiction and it's just, um, it's a political treatise dressed up as a sci-fi novel. Like I can yeah. enjoy it. I, I read Marcus Aurelius's uh, meditations at least once a year. So I, I read that kind of stuff, but it, it wasn't as action and adventure as I expect from like mill sci-fi. So in that respect, story-wise, I liked the farcical nature of the movie but I, I like the book too. But because I said that, I still get hate mail because those episodes are timeless. Well, you're about to get hate mail for this one too. <laughs> I know it's okay. Um, but the movie introduced me to Heinlein, so yeah, definitely yeah. a big step. Yeah. Spe speaking of reviews, uh, we are actually currently reading Hyperion together, so we might be able to sneak in an episode talking about that if we have a chance. Yeah, definitely okay. highly recommend. I I think they're eight to nine out of ten books across the board. They a couple of little things keep them from being 10 out of 10. Like you got to read the first two out of the four together because the first half doesn't actually conclude the story. Okay. I mean, the, yeah, the first book doesn't conclude yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah the I'm series saying. runs in first, pairs. Yep. Who, who wrote Hyperion? I've heard the name. I'm, I, I haven't read Dan it yet, Simmons. but I recognize Dan Simmons. Okay. That's what I thought. Um, I just didn't want to say it and be wrong because then you're going to get, you get, get anything right. wrong on the internet and you'll have lots of people. Well, actually. <laughs> So, all right, yeah, that'll be interesting. You should do a review episode on that, and I'll uh, I'll have to check it out. 
Um, so what is it about speculative fiction, which is the umbrella that sort of covers all the things we love? So what is it about speculative fiction as a genre that you love, Matt? Well, just the idea of being able to explore stuff that's absolutely zany out there, just like putting raw ideas onto a onto page, you know, because reality is constrained by certain laws and certain things that we can argue about at the fringes. But, you know, whether gravity works a certain way, it doesn't have to. And so that's where uh, speculative fiction comes in and we can expand and like just throw ideas at the wall, see what sticks and see how that goes. Okay, Adam. Same question with speculative fiction. Yeah, what is it about speculative fiction that you love? I think Matt really covered it for me. Just like being able just to think about different ideas and then, you know, uh, finding different nodules that just kind of pop up and going down the proverbial rabbit hole and finding new ideas and strange places. are just like, hmm, I didn't think about that before. But now we're here. Okay. Jonathan, I know you got something yeah. special to say. Oh yeah, gonna... no, it's it's real simple. You know, it's they're just fun, kind of like what uh, what's his face? Um, oh, his name escapes me. The movie guy, uh, Quentin Tarantino, when asked about why he makes his movies the way he does, they're just fun. And speculative fiction, I don't, I don't think there's another genre that really captures the, you know, uh, the the sorts of spectacles you can create. You know. Okay. Yeah, that's a good answer. So how did you guys, how did your love collectively, and we're going to, like I said, we'll keep asking these, you know, individually to answer, but how did your love of speculative fiction as a genre, reading it, watching it, playing the games, transition into you deciding to write stories in this space? So Matt? So I, uh, ever since I was a little kid, I was like, I dabbled in writing, but I never really fully committed myself to it until later on. But you know, I was writing fan fiction for Star Wars or whatever in the fourth grade and never, obviously never finished anything. My uh, first fully finished manuscript really like came about in my freshman year of high school because, uh, you know, I fell in love with a girl and I did what every uh, good man does and buy, you know, she didn't want me. So I bought a leather jacket and I wrote a book. Okay. So okay. It, it kind of went from there. Well, it's her loss anyway. <laughs> so what about you adam how did you decide to transition from just consuming the products to writing your own i was in the fourth grade i was nine years old and i hated writing and i hated reading believe it or not uh my fourth grade teacher bless his heart i have no idea where he's at now but dr turner was his name and he got really mad at me because we were doing this project for our writing course in english uh, and he's and we were writing prompts like story prompts, just prompts for any sort of like story ideas, yada yada. But anyway, he 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 finally snapped at me because he was tired of my BS and said, "I don't care what you write; it could be the dumbest thing. Just write your prompt. I'll give you your C, and we'll move on with the day." And so the first thing that came out of my mouth was, "An alien escapes Area Fifty One with a time machine." It was complete nonsense. But then I thought, "Oh my gosh, what happens next?" And so that was like the spark that lit the, the 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 forest fire, I guess, of me just beginning to slowly obsess over like stories and like how they're made, how they work, and how I can make some of my own. That's it. As good as answer as any. Yeah. Um, and Jonathan. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, in elementary school and such, I'd always be making up stories and I'd be writing 
little short snippets and things, you know, my mom would put on the fridge under the magnet, stuff like that. And, um, and then as I got older, I would want to uh, act out those stories or, and um, so I would literally just tell my stories to people in middle school, high school, and I'd have these ideas just bubbling and bubbling. And then um, some of my more tactful friends would, would, would politely ask me to uh, write it down and then show it to me instead of talking my ear off. Um, Although you did talk quite a bit. Jonathan I, and I went to high school together. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, oh, still, okay. yeah, and I've got a lot of those stories still in the back of my head and uh, I've, I've written down some of them. Um, and then, you know, and I, uh, I remember too, when I went to, uh, when I was going through basic, I would use, I, I made up a story sort of as a coping mechanism to just distract myself from everything that was going on. And I started off with one little action scene in a little fantasy universe. And then anytime, um, uh, we were just standing at attention silently. I would ask myself what happens next, what happens next to, uh, to just get through the day. And I've created an entire fantasy epic outline doing that um, nice nice so you started your ideas in um was it was it army air force what when you were in oh uh, that was that was air force okay so so that gave you your motivation i just remember being too tired at basic to think about anything but i mean whatever works for you to make it through the next day that's how yeah. you do it it's yeah. one one hour at a time one minute at a time and then rinse and repeat because if you at a time Right. Yeah. Right. If you if you think about the larger scale, it's like holy crap! I've got four more months of this or whatever it is. But if you're like, well, you know, uh, I know I want to quit, but I'll do it tomorrow. Then yep. you know that's how you that's the trick to to perseverance right there. So, good life lessons. We we do what we can here at the Blasters and Blades podcast, people. But um, speaking of life lessons, many authors will let their own real life experiences influence the way they tell stories. So do any of you guys have specific formidable moments that you think shape you as storytellers? Matt? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, the whole life experience thing in general. Although I did have a couple, uh, uh, I guess, like sayings that I eventually developed, like, you know, being in the army for a little bit. I, I I like to uh, think that uh, they're important and they can apply across pretty much all ranges of things. But uh, my favorite is uh, people are squishy and full of fear, which is <laughs> the basic lesson that, you know, everybody acts with their own self-interest. So you can usually bet against that or usually bet in favor of that. It's very rarely you'll find somebody who will go against that and actually act with real true altru altruism right off the bat. And uh, <clears throat> the other one that uh, I, I know my officers didn't like very much was uh, nobody outranks a bullet. Good advice. Yeah. My <laughs> my favorite was uh, when we were deploying to Iraq uh, the first time. No, it was the second time. And everyone was talking, all the new guys who never deployed before. This was, this was the 05 deployment. They were talking about what war heroes they were going to be, basically what they were going to do, like everybody does. It's, it's mostly bravado and... and um, Fake courage because he, yeah. he keeps you sane. And my, we had this salty old platoon sergeant's like, all we're going to see is asses and elbows out of you, private. Now shut the F up. <laughs> of course, he did not say F. He, he uh, enumerated the world. But we try to be family friendly here. So anyway, An attempt was made. we'll see. An attempt was made. All right. So what about you, Adam? Were there any moments you think that shaped the way you tell stories? I think uh, so. Pretty much after high school, a lot of the work that I did uh, up till now has been a lot of blue collar work. Um, 
So kind of having that blue collar like perspective on things. I've always enjoyed s- stories that were like from like the quote unquote grunt or the quote unquote uh, just like average Joe trying to do his job. And then all of a sudden hell breaks loose. And one movie in particular that I think like kind of captures like some of that like uh, blue collarisms is the uh, the alien movie. Okay. They're, out, they're just, you know, they're just working a freighter, you know, do, doing their job. And all of a sudden, uh, oh, no, we're being eaten, we're being chased and hunted down by an alien life form that we don't know how to fight. So a lot of stuff like that. I've always liked that angle on stories because a lot of older stories, it's like very educated, very like upper class, like noble and elite people going on adventures. But I've always uh, because I was spent, you know, so much time as the average Joe, you know, blue collar. I liked more of those stories that were just from that perspective of like, you know, just the average person. All right. What about you, Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I think definitely uh, me telling my stories has affected how I write because I generally uh, the voice of my narrator is a guy just speaking to you usually. And, you know, and then those pivotal moments like. uh, uh you know, going uh, the, the the tough moments, like going through basic. And I, I've also lived abroad for a few years. Like I lived in Uruguay and Argentina for about two years. And, uh, you know, and I visited a few other places and just seeing, uh, I don't know, like, like the sort of, because uh, in Uruguay, it's like a, there's some places that are third world country and then some places that are first world country. And just seeing those worlds mashed together, it really just, um, inspired like like there's so many stories just just looking at um at, at the world differently like there was this one neighborhood this is a tangent but i'm gonna go with it um uh, a bunch of like uh what do they call them the corrugated metal houses were kind of along this riverbank and then the river flooded you know and a lot of people had to move out and i remember getting lost because you know one of my friend's houses in the in that area i remembered it being like oh he's three streets up from the river but now his house was like right on the river you know, and things like that don't really happen here in the States. Um, and uh, just so you you get to appreciate when you see the world outside of the lens of the West, the first world nations, and it you, it changes your appreciation of, of how good you have it. I mean, if you think about it, like the poorest person in America today is living better than the Rockefellers did in the 20s. Yeah. <clears throat> My grandma used to have a uh, saying, God, um, God willing and the crick don't rise. And I never understood that, but I've got a small actual, it's, a, it's technically they call it a river, but it's too small in my opinion. I call it a creek, a crick. Yep. Uh, and when, when Hurricane Matthew came and it started getting closer and closer to the house, I'm like, oh, this is what grandma was talking about. <laughs> so so I think that that experience, I think what it is, is being closer to, to the land, closer to nature, because you, you're not insulated by all the, the modernity, you know, the, the modern tech and stuff. Yeah. That gives you that appreciation. Yeah, Definitely. running water is the luxury suddenly you have and a lot of other things to think about. <laughs> Absolutely. So speaking, we've mentioned the military, Matt, you you uh, you mentioned that you served in the U.S. Army, but um, do you feel like your time in uniform affects the way you tell stories? I'd say so, yeah. I've had a fairly non-standard career in the Army. Uh, I, you know, I, went, I'm, I was a cryptologic linguist back in uh, 2014, which is a rare enough job as is. Like, you know, you never see those guys kind of like out on the front line or anything unless they're attached as a, your local tr- uh, translator and whatnot. So I've had the opportunity to attend the Defense Language Institute, 
which is the world's most exclusive community college. Um, <laughs> I did walk away from that with an AA degree in Arabic language because uh, they, they they teach that professionally there and had a chance to interact with a lot of the folks actually that like you helped JR where they were like, oh yeah, I was in Iraq. I was in, you know, wherever and like uh, the Northern areas and Kurdistan and stuff. And then like, you know, the US army rolled in, helped us like settle the area. I was getting persecuted by, you know, the, the fanatics or whatever. So I came here. I remember one of the stories I had there was uh, one of the teachers, he turned on the TV and uh, it was after we had left and ISIS was like rolling over the borders and taking over certain parts of towns and stuff. He was like, that was my house. Those guys are living in my house. Dang it. <laughs> with with uh, less, uh, with more colorful worlds. <laughs> it was an interesting experience when you got to go abroad and meet people from other cultures. Yeah. And it's it's also interesting to see how that culture affects language, which if you read someone who does sci uh, science fiction or fantasy right, you see some of that in the writing too. But like from, from the cuss words to what we think is important, all of that affects language. And so it's kind of fascinating that you got to experience that. Um, yeah. Do you throw that into your writing? The, I, that... I, I think so. There's a certain like intangible to it that I uh, I'm, I'm actually like, just just got to now in my head where certain things because like living in the U.S., we're a very young country. We're we're very young on the historical scale, which I'm sure you know, Jr. With your history degree, where it's like, oh yeah, like 200 years ago. That's so old, and, and anybody from Europe would just laugh at us. Uh, but with like Arabic and some of the people from that, uh, the, the Middle East and, you know, as you always say, Mesopotamia, it goes all the way back to that. Like it, it's weird now having learned Arabic and going to certain museums and being able to actually see like, you know, ancient Syriac and things from, you know, 2000 BC or whatever and be like, oh, yeah, I can, I, I can almost read that. <laughs> so the weird thing is I, um, when I went to Iraq on the, one of our Southern missions, there's this place called um was it scania which is about halfway between baghdad and the kuwaiti border okay. to the biop because baghdad's a bunch of different bases mm -hmm. uh and there's the temple it's an ergot temple and it's a so it's a step pyramid essentially to um it was in the city of ur and it was uh, purported to be the birthplace of abraham from from the bible yeah and uh at one point in time the inside of the temple was open because it was a functioning temple and uh, when other religions gained prominence, they basically they bricked in the temple and they buried some people inside of it. Mm -hmm. So now it's just a pyramid like what we would expect. You can climb to the top. And even from like, you know, the thousands of years old, you could tell the quote old from the from the new because you could see the difference in aging from when it was originally built to when they bricked it in, even though the, the closing of it was, you know, BCE time. Right. Like and that's kind of amazing. And then you get to the top and you get and you look around the desert and you can't see the walls from the ground. But from the top, you can see the walls that once were the city of Ur, but because some of the buildings still stand, but it's all covered in sand. So you're essentially seeing the outline, the footprint of the city in sand dunes, mm -hmm. which is kind of neat. Um, yeah. That's a that's a fun little fact about Iraq is they have the most roads of any nation, mostly because when sandstorms come in and they bury the roads, it's cheaper just to build a new one than it is to dig the old one out. <laughs> And so sense. it's it's and so I, I you see that with some of the the covered up um, villages and stuff that were just ancient that I almost feel like if they ever get peace in the Middle East you owe oh, the archaeology we could do there you know like I yeah. I'd go back in a heartbeat to look at it again. 
it's it's definitely um, like a humbling experience too just to be able to like you, you go up there and you touch that piece of history and that stone's been around for like longer than most people could even conceive of it's almost eldritch and it's like being yeah when you get to the top of the the ergot temple of ur there's um it looks like it might be a bench but it's actually the altar where they committed uh or where they did the live sacrifices i don't know if they were doing animals or if they were doing people um, I'm not as familiar with that region of history. It wasn't what I focused on, but mm. you could see where the copper from the blood stained the stones, even with, you know, thousands of years of sandstorms and grit, you know, like slowly eroding away at the stones, you could still see where it's stained the stones. And so you're basically walking in the footsteps of history. And that is a very humbling experience. Um, like you said, um, it's one of those things where, where you're standing in and, places where you'd only read about in history books and you're getting to touch it. It's, it's definitely unique, but I'm I'm very passionate about history. I majored in it for a reason. So it's, it's also uh, the same with the like army bases. Like I went to Fort Huachuca, Arizona, and there's like, you know, the Buffalo soldier museum out there. And like, you know, some of those places are reported to be haunted. Like my shower turned on by itself at one point, me and my roommate just kind of looked at each other like, but we're standing out here and nobody's in there. Sometimes, I, I don't know, I don't tend to believe in ghosts, but what I will say is the Wachuca is interesting because the, the Museum to the Buffalo Soldiers, most people don't realize the uh, the modern, um, oh, well, well, technically it's not the dress uniform anymore. The old dress blues that we used to wear where the, the blouse was darker than the trousers yeah. were actually because of the Buffalo Soldiers because they weren't given as many uniforms because, you know, latent racisms in the society at the time they didn't give them enough. So they would de-blouse. They would take their blouse off, roll it up in their bedroll. So it didn't fade as quickly as their pants did. Hmm. So they were mismatched because they started off the same color. And we just went with it for our dress uniform, which is kind of cool because it comes from from that area. Yeah. In that era. Again, but uh, we don't want to turn this into the Army History Hour. We are recording it the day after the Army's um, birthday. But, uh, you know, we won't go there. So... When you were when you write, do you ever draw from people that you served with in the military, Matt? Uh, yeah, yeah. There, you, you, I mean, you know it, but I'm sure our audience has uh, has uh, heard variations on the story. But there's always like a cast of characters you meet uh, as you go through your career. It's it's always really zany. Like you know, I could tell you about a guy who uh, dislocated his knee in basic reaching down for a book, and it was also the son of an admiral, which is just absolutely zany. But yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things where those stereotypes exist for a reason. Yeah, I, he didn't make it. <laughs> but yeah, no, was just, it the injury or he just couldn't cut it? Uh, he later tried to set fire to the barracks or at least was blamed for doing so by shoving a bunch of uh, toilet paper uh, into one of those uh, seat cover holders and then lighting it with an MRE match. Huh. Interesting choice of um, pyrotechnics, but A for effort, yeah. I guess. Yeah, the building was brick, so it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, that that <laughs> kind of sucks. We, had, we actually had a guy whose dad was uh, one of the base sergeant majors. I won't say where because that could identify him. Um, he thought because his dad was a sergeant major, he got privileges of rank too. So, like, he went and he when we got to our FTX because at Benning, you know, you, you did a road march and you stayed out there for a lot longer than people did at other bases. At least you did back in the nineties. Uh, and so he thought he was going to sneak into the MRE containers and get extras because he was hungry. So he deserved it. And so there were like eight people that went hungry that day because there just wasn't enough. Uh, and so when they found out he was in our platoon, they like smoked the crap out of us. Like we we all paid for his malfeasance. Uh, and then to top it off, 
all through the night, they would just randomly drop CS gas around our position. So we actually oh. had to gas mask up. Oh no. Just to mess with him. Um, he didn't make it either. They found a reason to get him out, but it's just one of those things where everyone's got that one screwball, right? That messes things up for everyone else. Oh yeah. So, all right. What about, uh, we've mentioned how it affects the way you tell stories, but do you think having served in the army changes the way you engage with content as a reader? Uh, yeah, I've, I've had a lot of more experience, especially coming in from the linguist angle of it. We've got a lot more interface with civilian agencies and uh, other things like that. So I, I, I tend not to read a lot of spy thrillers anymore unless they're extremely well-researched because I'll read it and be like, but we wouldn't do that. That, that sounds dumb. Or like, yeah. or like, do you know how much paperwork is associated with doing that? That's crazy. <laughs> there for a year. <laughs> In triplicate, no less. Yeah, I uh, I can appreciate that because I had to fill out some of that paperwork when my Joes did stupid stuff. I guess it was payback. Like you know, your parents curse you. May your kids be just like you. Uh-huh. I think your sergeants do that too. When you become sergeant, may your privates act just like you did. Um, <laughs> and, and and they they definitely got theirs back. So yeah. uh, I actually talked to. So one of my college electives was uh, Reagan's Cold Warriors, uh, and there's a book titled similarly. And we watched the, I think it's 13 days, the movie about the Cuban uh, missile crisis. Sure. And they have this scene where the guy's like wearing a briefcase handcuffed to his wrist, standing under the very noir streetlight on a payphone. Yeah. And, uh, and he was the, the guy that was teaching it was the one who was in the book. Like that was him in real life doing that. And he's like, what kind of asshole does that? Handcuff anything to your wrist. It's like screaming. I've got something worth stealing. <laughs> and he just went off on like the bad trade craft. He's like, we would have never done that. Because <laughs> he he ended up he enlisted and then retired as a uh, as a colonel in the SF community, Damn. Uh, and he had some very strong opinions on how that movie portrayed the clandestine warriors. Oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, before we move on to the uh, commercial, because we've been jabbering and I'm having fun, Jonathan. Since you mentioned that you served in the Air Force, do you feel like your time in uniform affects the way you tell stories? Um, a bit. My time was pretty brief. It was only two years. Um, but. Yeah, no, just the, uh, just the, um, the difficulties associated with, with being with military life that I, you know, didn't expect as a as a civilian beforehand, um, definitely gives me a greater appreciation, and and I guess your question is, does it affect how I write, right, or yeah, does it, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it makes me focus on, uh, or it makes me want to focus on those details. You know, and like Matt was saying with spy thrillers now, it really bothers him when he reads a poorly researched one. I'm I'm really uh, aware of that now. And, um, and and sometimes when I notice a mistake or not a mistake, but a potential area where there's uh, some some nonsense going on, I have to ask myself, like, do I want to put in the effort to go hardcore and make it really realistic or do I want to um, hand wave him it away? Um so I'm definitely more aware of those situations now because of my time in the military. Um, okay. Do you ever draw the people you knew when you were in? Oh yeah. 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 Like there was um, like Matt was saying, and, and you too. I mean, there's just really some silly stories that can only occur in, in that setting, you know, and like a story from my basic, uh, we had the seven basic responses, you know, and one of them was, sir, may I ask a statement or sorry. Um, that's where I'm leading up to. That was the part of the, um, sir, may I, 
make a statement or sir may i ask a question and there was a uh, a guy in basic who said sir may i ask a statement and normally we if we correct ourselves immediately um they would let us you know move on like normal because that's what they wanted to encourage um but the guy uh the cadre member he thought it was kind of funny so he stopped and he was like no no i want to hear you ask a statement and you know he thought for like five seconds and then he said i am ron burgundy and for us that was hilarious but you know we couldn't laugh and outside of that context you know sometimes when i tell that story to people they're like okay that's kind of cool and then other people that kind of get it they, they they find it hilarious as well um so that sort of uh mentality and opportunity for for just uh quirkiness like that i haven't seen it anywhere else um you know okay so you always get those funny moments because you know lack of sleep and overly caffeinated and then add in you know young man testosterone or i guess you know hormones of youth we will call it uh and you can get some some shenanigans going on that uh that are make the stories more interesting so all right so what about this the way you engage with stories as a reader you mentioned the spy thrillers as an example so do you feel like when you read about air power in fiction that that you uh or or watch it or play in a game are you more critical now than you used to be uh yeah yeah and i've been trying to develop this skill of turning my brain off so that it doesn't bother me as much um but yeah i'm definitely more more aware of it and i, I wasn't a pilot or anything so i i wouldn't be able to you know to point out um physiological uh well actually no no because I've, I've been you know, rubbing shoulders with, with a bunch of guys enough where, where there are some things where like, Oh, you can't um, like, you know, in independence day when uh, Will Smith's partner takes off his mask cause he's having trouble breathing. That's, that's the opposite of what you would do because those masks force you to breathe. They push the air into your lungs, you know, and if you had trouble breathing, taking off the mask would be the worst thing to do in that scenario. Um, but the movie did it so that that character got some face time right before he died. Um, so yeah, that, oh, go ahead. No, as I say, you see that a lot where like with the way you wear your helmets, even in combat with the, the chin strap dangling and all that, it's because it, you want to see the, I mean, you paid a lot of money to get that actor on that screen, right? So you want to be able to get that face recognition, but it, it sometimes means you're doing things in ways that don't quite make sense in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and I find myself asking too, like, even when I'm writing a story, um, uh, like, would people talk like this? Like, yes, no, maybe. And then does this make the story flow better? And I feel like sometimes you just got to make that concession to to make the story better. But then, you know, I, I wonder to myself, too, like, if I spent more time to craft a better scene or scenario, could I get the best of both worlds where it is accurate, but also uh, flowing and enjoyable to 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 read? Okay. Well, now we're going to transition from the writing side and get a little bit on the fan angle. So you guys are all newer authors. So what are you looking forward to the most as milestones of a, of a writerly career? So it's like autograph requests, fan clubs, uh, fan interactions. I don't know. What are you guys looking forward to the most, Matt? I'd like to be able to hear a third party conversation about my book saying how good it is or a recommendation. Like if somebody else is recommending my book to uh, someone else, that would be great. Okay. What about you, Adam? 
I tend not to think about things like that too much, but like, honestly, I, what's always been in the back of my mind is like, I would like to be able to make it far enough that like, uh, I don't know, like that, that I could meet at least one person that says, you know, what, I really enjoyed your book. And it's like, yeah, like if I could get that one person, like for life, I'd be content. All right. What about you, John? Yeah. Or Jonathan, uh, sorry. No, yeah, it, it's fine. Um, yeah. If, if someone came up to me and, and thanked me for, for a story I wrote, that would, that would be awesome. Uh, but then also like in a more, like if, if someone retold me my story, not knowing that I was the author, you know, like, Hey, listen to this cool story. I just read. Um, and I, I guess I just want, like, I feel excited about the stories I write and it would be cool to see other people share that excitement and have that same level of excitement, you know, reciprocated. And that's what I really want. For me, I guess I, I, I already had it happen, but it was very humbling. Uh, in my book, The Reservist, which was in the Galaxy's Edge universe, um, the guy's very religious. And so he has a prayer that he said, which is sort of a combination of an actual Norse prayer and some of the stuff we used in the military. It's sort of conglomerate, but I made up the prayer for this, you know, for this scene that he prayed and somebody tattooed that on their arm. And I was like, wow, like that's forever. Like that's commitment wow. right there. Yeah. I, I don't even know that I'd tattoo my own writing on my arm. So um, yeah, that was, that for me was like, holy crap, we've arrived. Now I just need the money to go with it. But yeah, you know. well, standard writer's rule: as soon as you tattoo anything yourself, uh, for, on yourself, you're gonna find a spelling error. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's so many memes about that with the infantry where they get tattoos and they spell it wrong. Uh, I would be afraid, be very afraid. <laughs> All right, well, now that we've introduced our our three guests and we've spent an hour doing it, I've had a lot of fun. We're gonna pause for a moment while we shamelessly shill for the man. When the UN invaded the freehold of Grenya, the intent was simple. Force a non-compliant star nation back into the collective. The haven for every independent, rebellious, self-reliant adventurer in human space for the last 200 years. Grenya has resources beyond measure, and its inhabitants have one goal in mind. Make the invaders suffer for their presumption. This isn't just resistance, it's vengeance. Freehold. Resistance. A collection of hard-hitting tales gathered by series creator Michael Z. Williamson and BaneBooks.com. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. But now let's uh, let's not dally, and we're going to jump right into the topic that brought us here, which is their podcast. So uh, so the first question is, what made you guys decide to start a podcast uh, uh, documenting your journey into the world of writers? Writerhood? Writerliness? I write the words. I don't know. Yeah, well, we were talking about it for years, and we just thought it would be a good idea to um, to to share that with other people because we figured there would be a lot of people in that boat, and kind of like those uh, time lapse videos of a you know of a kid you know from twelve to to twenty four or whatever. It's really neat to see, and we thought it would be really neat to share our journey with other people who could like um, you know see the similarities in themselves as they're going through the process. Yeah. Does anybody else have want to want to elaborate on that? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I thought you know coming into it with uh, our writing group, I think was uh, definitely something that was unique to like and worth telling. Because when we started this group, uh, myself, Adam, and Jonathan, we started getting together to do uh, creative, uh, just creativity jams, essentially. We'd meet on Friday nights, like back in like 2019 or something like that, just to, you know, this is the, the time set aside to get work done. And eventually uh, we, uh, 
like Jonathan was actually drawing back then. And then he got folded into us writing prose. And followed by that, we st I started looking more into like getting writing exercises for us to do to get better at stuff. And like we started giving each other critique and it just, and you know, focused on getting into writing contests, so on and so forth. And it all just sort of coalesced together until we had our uh, uh, regularly meeting uh, writing group. So now we meet every single Saturday. And I feel like it was a very important thing just to be able to get that across because a lot of people don't like they see themselves wanting to write a book, but have no idea how to get there, especially from the ground up. And, you know, now that we've at least gotten some of the steps in to see what that's like, it's neat to share it. I also remember yeah. at a certain point when we were having a conversation with each other, like we got deep into the discussion of writing. And then I want to say it was Jonathan's like, man, we should be recording this for a podcast. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of compare what you guys are starting with uh, one of the other podcasts I listen to on a regular basis, which is the Dead Robot Society. And it, it's it's two sci-fi writers sort of talking writing. But the podcast has been going on for 15 years and the hosts have changed and evolved over the years. Um, and I, that's kind of to when you've built a good podcast, I think, is when long after you've retired, if the show is still going on and other writers are talking about the things like then, you know, you did it right. Because most of these like these podcasts, they don't last very long. The, the staying power isn't great. Either people don't see the return they wanted in the number of viewerships or profitability or they get burnt out. So like in, in my dream world, like 20 years from now, somebody else is hosting the Blasters and Blades podcast and I'm just listening from the wheelchair or, you know, old folks home or whatever. Just make sure it's not the VA. <laughs> yes. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm actually not that old. So in 20 years, I wouldn't be in an old folks home, I hope. But <laughs> um yeah, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So I, I like the idea of what you're doing. If like, and people can sort of, you know, if they like your writing, if they found you on, you know, your anthologies, they could kind of get the ground floor up. And crazy to think about, maybe five years, you guys are still doing this. Someone will say, you know, I just listened to from episode one onward, and like they could track your development. Yeah, like, that'd be kind of cool. That would be super cool. If yeah. you want to see what that's like in real time, Jack Campbell, John Henry, I don't know how he's branding them anymore, but it's the same person. Um, his um, um, Lost Fleet series, the narrator um, is amazing, but you can hear because he was at the beginning of his career when the first book came out. And now he's established as the last one came out because, you know, it's traditionally published. So it's a slower production schedule. And you could literally hear the guy's skill set improve over the course of the series. Like uh -huh. as a narrator, that kind of stuff is fun to watch. Yeah, definitely. So, all right. So before we get started too deeply, what is the age range for the show? Is it family friendly? Um, you warning people in advance about the F-bombs and the Army Barracks talk or what? Uh, we've tried to keep it mostly family friendly. I think there might be a word or two that slips in there. So PG, PG-13. <laughs> but mostly okay. mostly family friendly. It shouldn't be yeah, uh, it's, too yeah, harsh it's, on the it's ears. It's about writing. It's not super hardcore. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I suppose well, it depends I, on what you're writing. Right. Yeah, we're not doing the romance genre um, yeah. or things like that. So, yeah, um, high school and up, I suppose, is the uh, the the demographic, or or really people that that want to write or enjoy talking about writing. Yeah, and uh, we actually have an episode in queue with Jonathan uh, going on his little rant about uh, fake curse words. Actually, oh, surprisingly yeah. few actual curse words in the fake curse word one. 
um, who was it? The writer dojo with uh, Larry Korea and Steve Diamond did one of those episodes. And then they had where they were actually saying the cuss words and then the editor bleeped out everyone. And it almost sounds like they were tapping Morse code. I think they had way too much fun <laughs> with that episode. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting topic, so I'll have to check it out. But so what would the 32nd elevator pitch be for the, um, yet another writing podcast? It's a podcast with the three of us discussing uh, salient topics about writing that we and lessons that we've learned in the past week or two that we've been uh, getting as we go along working on our manuscripts or trying to enter contests or uh, sometimes we even actually go over uh, exercises that we've done together and see show how our editing process works. Okay. All right. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're good. You're good. Um, so the podcast is yet another writing podcast, but the the graphics you gave me is the illiterate bastard. So what's the story of that? That spawned off of uh, we were discussing Tolkien and his writing group and how they just kind of had their own name. Do you remember that, Matt? What their name was? The yeah, they were the Inklings. I uh, I had just read I had just read the C.S. Lewis focused uh, biography about him, and it was titled it was self titled that way, the Inklings. But that was their group in uh, Oxford when they were all still together writing everything like before, during and after the war. And so I had actually posited to you like, hey, like we should come up with because like I, I I was the one that had come up with the name of the podcast and talk about that in a sec. But like I was like, Adam like, or anybody really like I don't, I don't know what to call our group. And then you threw this name out there and it stuck. Yeah, because I had just watched uh, what was the movie, the Quentin Tarantino movie, Inglorious Bastards. And because our group was focused on writing. I was like, okay, what about the illiterate bastards? And somewhere along the line, it just kind of stuck and nobody opposed to it. So it just kind of became our thing. Um, yeah. Okay. So I suppose yet another writing podcast is the podcast and then illiterate bastards is us. Yeah. The, the hosts and group. All right. I, I can dig that. Um, so tell me about this image. So one of you generated this. So first the image that we're looking at, which is three figures with interesting heads, um, and a library in the background, and it says the illiterate bastard on it's black and white grayscale. I dig it for the colorblind among us. Top keck. Um, but so what's the story of this image? I, I want to know the, the details. So I, I had stumbled upon a couple of uh, AI artwork generators, uh, that were actually powered through Discord. Um, and I believe the one I was tinkering around was this called Blue Willow. Uh, you can probably find that on Discord somewhere. Um, but yeah, no, we were looking for ideas for this. And I figured uh, my original image that I was looking for was to get like three guys sitting around an old microphone, like like an old studio, you know, back in like the radio days of, you know, talking to the can. But I was having very poor luck with that. But I was like, you know what, let's let's do something classy. And I kind of found got a good generated image of, of three guys like in suits and ties. And then I thought, man, uh, why don't I just stick our uh, our avatar you know, our game gamer avatar, whatever images over this and just call it a day. And we had, most of us had pretty much had like AI generated avatars at that point. Uh, Matt had the cat. I had the, the man with the gas mask and cowboy hat. And Jonathan had always been known as Spaceman Dirk online. So fitted the space helmet up there and that's, and all three of those are, so yeah, all three of those little heads are AI generated as well. Uh, use my little Photoshopping skills I picked up in college in high school and compiled this lovely little image you see here. 
So that is not you in the suits that you just changed. You, those are AI generated as well. You're not that that's felt yeah. anymore. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> I wish. No, uh, yeah, no. The entire image is AI generated, aside from the text, which uh, was compiled in Photoshop. I really like it. It's 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 nice. It's nice. Um, so do you guys use that as your branding, the illiterate bastards. Yeah, uh, the picture is yeah is our banner on Facebook, and uh, I haven't talked to matt yet but we are on spotify so i'm probably going to discuss him with him getting uh that banner also up on spotify uh and sure. the other platforms that we go on to but yeah and then the we have the uh other logo that like kind of sits in the corner of our facebook page is the big ib and gothic print letters okay i like it i like the gothic letters i like the black and white and the grayscale because that, that works perfectly for the uh, colorblind amongst us um, yeah, it's it's print, so you know why not? Yeah, absolutely. And you could even insert that into your books if you wanted to, or, or you know newsletters, whatever. Like there's there's room to grow with that that marketing angle. Oh yeah, and I, I um, intend to keep working with the AI and produce more images for our podcast because eventually some of our episodes are going to go up on YouTube. So I'm eventually going to figure out something for uh, maybe an animated uh, video with AI generated art. We'll see how it goes. Somebody suggested a, a VTuber because they suggested it for me, but eh, that's too much work. Um, so um, what can we expect from this podcast? Like what kind of things will you be doing? Well, we're going to be going over our journey and then giving um, or repeating the lessons that we've learned for ourselves and tr just trying to share that with other people. Um, so we've got a few episodes, like Matt mentioned, I, I, I rant about fake cursing because as I've been reading other stories, it, you know, sometimes it just irks me and I just want that to be better. And also we're going over some of our old exercises so we could see what our writing was like as we started and and uh, getting our own critiques on it. Yeah. OK, but, so. Oh, yeah. well, one prime example of like a lesson that we've kind of learned and it's the tagline at the end of each episode is just show up the number one rule to anything that you want to accomplish in life is just showing up and putting in the effort. So that's been our sort of uh, slogan this whole time also during this journey. Yeah. That's probably our first and most important lesson thus far. You're not going to do something unless you're there to do it. Yeah. You can't edit a blank page. Yep. So um, is it always just going to be the three of you? Do you foresee yourself doing interviews, um, book reviews? Like what do you, where oh, is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we intend uh, to bring other people in. We've already had one of our other friends who just uh, has started his own writing journey on one episode. And uh, one of the things that we want to do for some of our episodes is interview people and who've had, you know, just different careers like uh, Matt, for example, with his career in the army, we were thinking about, asking him some questions like, you know, so that people can get insights into, you know, just different career fields and, you know, some things and like we were discussing earlier, like in movies, when you see certain things and you know about it and how it works and you're like, ah, oh, no, that that's not how that works. Uh, so just kind of get little insights from people. So we have a lot of things like that planned in the future. Uh, yeah. Matt, we're trying to keep it, you know, uh, by writers for writers, kind of like that kind of approach. So those interviews will be focused on, you know, like the biggest misconceptions for certain things and like how to write whatever that role happens to be better. So basically you're getting SMEs on, subject matter experts. Yep. Okay. 
Um, so how are you finding your guests? Is it all people local to you in Southern California that are in your writing group or uh, um, are now, you going to be branching out? Yes. And yes. Uh, okay. I mean, I mean, right now it's, it's, uh, we're, we're sticking to, to local people that we know and such. Um, but as we grow and expand, you know, we'll, so, so will our net. Yeah. Okay. And so we're hoping to find some more like definitely like niche and interesting folks that like people may not be thinking about. Like I have a friend who uh, is excited to be on whenever we get around to it, but he's based in DC. He, uh, he's an intelligence analyst now, but he actually used to be a line cook. And I want to ask about like, you know, restaurant touring because that's something that a lot of people see, but they never really absorb the, uh, the problems or actual like details of. And if you're writing, uh, with the genre of chiclet, it's not uncommon to have them set at restaurants. So mm -hmm. that would be, you know, for some genres, that information is good to know. Yeah. So are you focusing your podcast on the genres you're specifically writing? Um, or is that just unintended of you speaking from your experience? Like, would you be interviewing people that write other genres like romance or, you know, whatever mystery? I mean, that's definitely open. We're definitely looking to see like, I dabble in mystery every now and again, but um, getting people and other authors from other genres with their own lessons and because each story type has a different structure would definitely be something we're interested in uh, having on our podcast. Okay. So are your interviews um, structured like ours where we have the template that we use and then let sort of go off of and then let the guests talk? Is it going to be more just sort of a free range kitchen table kind of conversation? Like what's your goal? The goal is a little bit of structure. We definitely want to get uh, big questions in, like, as whatever that job is, what do you think is the biggest misconception that people see in popular media? So if I were interviewing you, for example, like, as as a former grunt here, what what's the biggest misconception and, like, mistake that you see in popular media about your job? Well, if I was going to answer that question, I'd say the biggest one is the uh, the idea that it doesn't bother you when you kill people. Mm. Like, yes, there's a word for people like that. We call them sociopaths. <laughs> so I see that a lot in military sci-fi where it's like, okay, we go out, we do the things, we kill a bunch of bad guys, they kill a bunch of our friends, rinse and repeat, and we laugh at the end like a bad G.I. Joe episode. And I'm like, no, that, that guy's going to be crying in the porta potty for a couple hours because his best friend's guts are hanging all over his uniform. Like, no, that's not how that works. Yeah. So that's the biggest one I see in fiction. So those are the kind of things that you're going to ask lots of guests. Like, how are you going to pick them? Are you just talking to various authors you know that have, or experts that you know in various fields because you think it's going to be entertaining? Are you going specifically, like, I want to talk about this and then finding someone? Like, what's your process to get those booked? Uh, more of the former, a little bit of the latter, I suppose, where it's like uh, just the people that we know. But like between the three of us, we do have quite a uh, fair few uh, friends and in interesting, different and varied positions uh, with their different subject matters. But, uh, you know, if something comes up and you're like, man, I really want to talk to somebody like this and do some hunting. Okay. Okay. See, I couldn't do the, we have a couple guests that when we bring them on, they always end up, we discuss food. And then I feel like a fatty because I'm like, oh man, I know I just ate dinner, but I'm hungry again. Um, so yeah, I could I could see some of those though are gonna gonna lead you to uh, to breaking your diet if you're talking to line cooks and chefs and <laughs> right that's gonna get interesting. So, yeah, yeah. Um, are you going to keep it to um, 
your experts at least because this just fascinates me are you going to keep it to people that are experts on the tangible because we got people that would say they're experts on ghosts and they're ghost hunters i, I um, i'm from missouri you got to show me not literally from missouri but uh so are you going to keep it to like the tangential like yes definitely he's a pilot pilots are real planes are real we go or are you going to talk to like the yeti hunters and the ghost hunters and, and those people as well honestly we haven't talked about that that much but that sounds interesting um I'm sure there's something we could glean from interviewing those uh, types of people, at least how they uh, live their lives versus how people like them are portrayed in media. You know, whether a person <laughs> believes in what they believe or not, you know, their lives are real. Um, so there's probably a lot of information we could get from them. Yeah, it's, it's I don't know. I've been watching a uh, some documentaries on uh, um, what is it? Uh... Curiosity Stream, which is basically like Netflix, but for documentaries, my uh, my family calls it Nerdflix. When, yeah. when I watch the uh, documentaries on there, there's a couple other ones that have popped up since this one, um, but they've had some about the the legends and lore of, of Sasquatch. Um, and I got into it because there was one of the insider podcasts that Jason and o Jason Onsbach and Nick Cole did, where Nick talked about um, Yetis might actually be fallen angels uh, from some of the like he was listening to some something i don't remember if he was saying he believed it or just that some people believed it and he was listening to a podcast but it got me thinking so i, I went to curiosity stream i was like i wonder what they have and i watched a, a couple of uh, uh documentaries so um with your show like um do you see an end to this like when you guys are established professional writers are you gonna be like okay we're done or do you foresee yourselves continuing this long into the future I think we could keep it going for as long as we have ideas because even once I feel like even once we, you know, make it to that, you know, professional stage, there's still going to be thing, new things to learn, like, like marketing and like, you know, what is the future of like books, you know, and where books are going. So we're still going to be continuing to learn things. And as long as we're continuing to learn things, I suppose we're going to keep making episodes. Yeah, the uh, futurisms concepts is is definitely something that will be constantly um, evolving as technology evolves. I mean, there's a plenty of things that were science fiction 30 years ago that are now science fact, right? Like yeah. some of the inventions yeah. that came out of the Star Trek, right? Like uh, like Miguel something I can't um, uh, the warp drive inventor. He was a Star Trek fan. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Um, but uh, but he actually was a fan of Star Trek, so he wanted to see mathematically if um, if it was possible. Yeah, I mean, especially with the way our journey is going, uh, if you know, once we're at a professional level, there's still lots to be discussed about the lessons that we've learned from going into that. Especially since you know, like ten years ago, the indies weren't that big, and then you know, by the time five years ago, they were huge, and people were making a living off of it. And now we're reaching this weird uh flashpoint with uh like your problems with kindle unlimited and you know so on and so forth just keeping up with the industry is another uh level of thing to keep up with and i'm sure we'd be able to pass on the you know the harsh lessons you learn through mistakes at least to yeah. people who are willing to listen yeah if nothing else once we become professional um, we'll be in a better position to share advice and experience so I did a quick Google because I couldn't remember how to pronounce the guy's last name. Um, it's Al Cubier. I think if I'm pronouncing the phonetics right, that's what it is. But he was a Mexican uh, physicist who invented 
uh, the mathematical formula that proved that it was possible to have a warp drive. Of course, the power requirements were more than the sun puts out in its lifetime. So, you know, we need that zero point um, cold fusion. that's always 20 years away. But, right. but like that formula wouldn't have existed, proving that it was in theory possible if you hadn't had the authors dreaming it up first. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's an interesting discussion point um, for for you guys. And yeah, some of the things that hurts the worst in the writing career side of things is some of these, especially if you're indie, some of these lessons are expensive and they hurt your wallet too. Um, that I've learned the hard way just publishing anthologies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, looking at you, Area 51. It's the only one I didn't earn back on. Woof. Uh, the, the, uh, the FBI came and cockblocked the, uh, the whole storming Area 51 thing. Uh-huh. I just take comfort in the fact that there was some colonel somewhere sitting in a briefing talking to generals and having to explain the concept of Chad's and Becky's and Karen's and Naruto running and <laughs> trying to, you know, like yeah. keep a straight face at all the shenanigans. I think I saw a picture of that, of uh, one of the Air Force slide briefings of someone Naruto running. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things where like, and I'll, I'll say this, I've said this a bunch of times privately, but... Like if the Air Force hadn't taken it seriously and they just let it be like basically the Woodstock of our generation where people showed up and had a concert because that was what was planned to happen. Like the the gimmick to get people there was, you know, let's see what's in Area 51. And I'm sure you would have had some idiots <coughs> who actually tried to break into Area 51. But as a general, most people were just going there for the party. If that had happened, this anthology would still be selling. Yeah. But because I tried to time my launch because, you know, timing matters instead of as soon as it was ready, getting it out there, I tried to wait to time the launch to, uh, to the actual event meant that once the FBI shut it down, sales just disappeared. Oh. And uh, on top of that, if you're going to write pop culture issues, you better be Johnny on the spot and get that stuff out quickly. But I let 36 stories in because they were also good, oh. which meant editing and formatting. Like I actually had to tweak the formatting perimeters under vellum to get in all the words to fit because two stories didn't fit otherwise. Like if I drop that book on you from like three stories up, you're, you're going to die. Like it's going to kill you. <laughs> it's that big. Yeah. Uh, the old Brandon Sanderson Chihuahua killer. Yeah, basically. And so that's one of those things where like, you know, any author that's ever dabbled at advertising would tell you the same thing. Like, you know, those, those lessons come in, in painful pocketbook uh, mishaps. Yeah. So, Anyway, we don't normally talk about the writing side thing on this podcast, so this is the first time our audience is hearing some of that. But I would say the uh, the story creation that you guys talk about would be applicable to people that are, you know, writing their own fanfic or that are, you know, designing worlds for their RPG campaigns with their families and friends. Like storytelling is storytelling, no matter what you do with those stories. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we've got episodes covering that, and of like where we. Just kind of go over like where how where do we get our ideas from? How do we slam two ideas together to make a new one? Then how we get that from there onto paper or wherever we decide it ends up. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where like you don't really appreciate it uh, when you're on the outside looking in, but I, you hear new authors ask all the time, "Where do you get your ideas?" And my question is always, "How do you turn them off?" Like yeah. ideas are everywhere. Yeah, they're everywhere. ideas are a dime a dozen. They're cheap. Well, you know, they're they're like weeds in the garden, right? Like yeah. it's it's. It's the execution that matters, and it's turning them off so you can focus on one project. Otherwise, you go project ADD, and it's like, oh, squirrel. And you have a bazillion unfinished manuscripts because you never got around to it. And all of them could have been gold mines, but you'll never know. 
yeah, a, sh a short little uh, interjection tangent, I guess. Uh, I always subscribe to Stephen, what Stephen King has said, which he never writes any ideas down. And so the ones that float to the surface after like a few years, like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, let's do that one with the idea that the memorable ideas are the ones that you should stick with. See, that only works if you have a, a neurotypical brain. Uh, if you've got brain damage, you know, my brain looks like Swiss cheese from all the explosions and IEDs and stuff. That doesn't work. And so, you know, that's something to consider when you get advice from writing is consider the source. And if it doesn't apply to you, um, for instance, if you've got no arms and the guy's talking about how to type faster, well, that's not really your concern. You need to learn how to dictate faster. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, pick and choose. I mean, that's an extreme example, obviously, but, you know, picking and choosing what works for you and not being afraid to say, yeah, that might be a good idea for you, but it doesn't work for me because that's the big mistake in any field. Uh, I mean, obviously, science is science, but when it comes to the liberal arts, like there's definitely room for variance. Yeah. And, oh, and yeah. that's true for any advice anyone gives you know ask yourself is this applicable yeah well that and you're always free to say no which was like another thing like we discussed in our uh, episode about taking critique because you know someone says like oh you should make these edits you're, you you were the author you were free like i don't feel like it that doesn't make it sound the way i want to make it sound so uh, i'll give you a for instance when we were doing the the sci-fi shenanigans and then in the first season of blasters and blades we sort of got rid of it uh, we used to do the the good and the, we'd mind the reviews of the book we were talking about and we'd find the good things and find the bad things and sort of talk about it and not in a gotcha method, but more just sort of analyzing what readers feedback was. And I realized that any author you would find, you know, person A gave it a one star because of cussing and person B gave it a five star because cussing. And so for every person that hates that thing, there's going to be someone else that loves it. So that's why we say at the end, you know, please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms because your reviews help the right reader find the right books. And it's, it's, we say that every time because it's true. It's like, you know, what works for you might not work for someone else and that's okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can strip your voice out of a story. I think if you edit it too much or listen too much to other people. Yeah. That, or you end up with somebody else's voice in your story. You don't know what to do with that. Yeah. And that goes with you working with editors too, because some editors are frustrated writers, and so they try to make your book sound like what they would have written. You don't want them to do that. You want them to help make what you wrote better, not into what they would have written. Yeah. And so that's the that's the the first lesson is learning that, like you said, you can say no to the various. Yeah. Well, I think the lesson slightly before that one is to not take it personally because they're not there to attack you. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, most of the time, if they're attacking you personally for what you wrote. You're better off without them in your life anyway. Um, no. But yeah, you got to develop a thick skin. Yeah. Uh, if you ever want to feel better about your own writing and you're a new writer, I would say go look at you know any best-selling you know author, a Brandon Sanderson or a Stephen King or a Dean Koontz or you know insert famous author, uh, and you look and they still get one-star reviews too. Yep. Our local and joke so, is you know, uh, James Patterson's book shots. Yeah. Um, so that, that's something to definitely consider. So we've talked about what you're going to do with the show. And it sounds like you guys are, um, other than tracking your journey, you guys are going to be an evolution in process on what kind of things you talk about. Um, yeah. And so the branding for you guys is going to be you three, the illiterate bastards. Um, I, I hope you can actually read since you're writing. Um, but um, <laughs> what, 
<laughs> Calabonga, dude. Um, you are Southern California, so um, do you say the, the Southern California phrases at least once an episode? Since you guys are all there, <laughs> no, I think we're uh, we're all desert folk. The other the other half of the Southern Californians, oh, a little a little closer uh, to Arizona and yeah. uh, uh, meth, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I, I I don't know what they say in meth country, but we'll we'll smile and nod and hope you have all your teeth then. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> As writers, like what genres do you guys write in? If you guys, you know, just go in any order, but like, what are you guys writing for yourselves? Uh, I guess we'll go the way we introduced ourselves yeah. from before. But uh, I write mostly sci-fi, and I'm uh, dabbling into fantasy at the moment with the latest manuscript I'm working on. Okay, and what about you, Adam? I write sci-fi and fantasy, mostly. Yeah, started uh, out and- sci-fi, but then realized I wasn't especially good at it so i've also i switched over to fantasy and now i kind of just switch back and forth between both so what about you uh jonathan are you writing sci-fi and fantasy too or are you an oddball out and i don't know writing yeti romance well i'm no i'm I'm doing both of those but i like to take a more absurdist angle um with my stories uh and uh, i i like the more comic elements and uh, i shy away from from the dramatic Okay. So, you know, sci-fi and fantasy are both very broad umbrellas. Um, are you guys narrowing it down to specific subgenres like, I don't know, military science fiction, space opera, space exploration, military fantasy, I don't know, yeah, uh, magical yeah. schools, that kind of thing? Um, yeah. So, so the manuscript I'm working on right now is a, uh, is a, a absurd dark comedy dystopia. Okay. Um, so, so, so the world has already been taken over, and the government is is this corrupt, evil entity, and this small band of of pirates, you know, kind of a la Treasure Island, um, are actually the good guys and not the bad guys, and and they're uh, just kind of going around trying to fix the world. But since they're such a small party, there isn't a whole lot they can do until you know things go out of control and blah blah blah. Um, but okay. Yeah. What what about you, Adam? Going back up in reverse order, what uh, what subgenres in the sci-fi and fantasy are you focusing on? So, uh, I really like the exploratory sci-fi because I kind of grew up with that, especially with uh, Jules Verne's uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues. Um, I really have always enjoyed, like Star Trek. I uh, my dad, I grew up watching Star Trek with my dad, so the the sort of seeing people explore space and go into and going down to new worlds and finding strange and bizarre things afoot is always going to intrigue me. So I'm dabbling in that. Uh, fantasy wise, I very am fascinated by the sort of uh, urban fantasy. So, like the effect of magic on a modern world or a technological world. So that's cool. What about you, Adam? Um, excuse me. What about you, Matt? Uh, on the sci-fi side of the house, I tend to lean more towards like uh, classic noir or well neo noir, I suppose, uh, a la Blade Runner or um, like hard-boiled uh, stories. And so it's not necessarily about the mystery, but the people interacting in it. And because I'm a big fan, uh, I was raised on uh, heroic bloodshed movies out of Hong Kong. So stuff directed by John Woo, like uh, The Killer or Hard Boiled, uh, A Better Tomorrow, those kind of things. And then on the fantasy side, I, I tend to use fantasy more as like the playground where it's just like a series of gimmicks being slammed together. 
And uh, so for this like latest uh, manuscript that I'm working on, I wanted to have interwoven heist stories that just lead from just a regular old heist to get like a guy knocking is knocking over what's essentially a seven 11 all the way up to like stealing the throne of God, which I'm, uh, we've talked about quite a bit in our, uh, writer, uh, meetups. Okay. Those all sound interesting. I, I, one thing that I'm disappointed is there's not enough people when they write the space explorations that have the uh, landing crew. Cause it's essentially what you're looking at is space Marines try to fornicate with the, uh, the humanoid aliens. Um, because you know, let's let's face it, that's going to happen. Like, there's going to be some lonely marine who's been like, "Man, I haven't seen an Earthling in woman in like twelve light years," and I'm just telling you, that green skinned little thing over there is starting to look pretty good. Um, <laughs> Knowing real uh, service members, if there was just a gooey hole with tentacles, they would try it. Yeah, there's a uh, Mark Wayne McGinnis did it in his. Um, I want to say it was his his uh, junkyard spaceship series, <clears throat> where they went in one of the dimensions they went into in that book. They actually had uh, one of the males actually get impregnated by one of the aliens because you know biology works differently for them. And just the, I mean, like he didn't elaborate because it went. Uh, have you seen Spaceballs, where yeah. the oh, thing yeah. crawls out of his chest in comedy? Like it was yeah. one of those numbers. But like I could see playing with some of those like twisting tropes on their heads just because alien biology. So you could sort of wave your hands, throw them in the air, and act like you just don't care. The old Uno reverse um, card, seahorse biology. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I, there's so much room for that, but nobody ever does it. It's uh, I don't know if they're afraid or it's just, you know, maybe my sense of humor was warped by the army and nobody else thinks that's amusing. Yeah. Or maybe you're just reading the wrong genre. Fiction. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> if that happens, do you collect BAH? Yeah. <laughs> this was not service connected. Um, that would almost be like a farce story you could do. Like, all this bad stuff happens to this person over and over again. Like, they're basically a cyborg at this point. And then the VA is like, yep, yeah, nope, not service connected. Because <laughs> yeah. you could see it happen. Or you end yeah. uh, like some sort of space opera space adventure with them trying to turn their gear into CQ, uh, QRF or no, QRF, CIF. Is it? CIF. There we go. Like clothing an issue. Like, and they're like, yeah, I don't care that an alien like destroyed your helmet, shooting a ray gun at you. Like, I don't believe you statement of charges, <laughs> which is like so, 10, 10 times the MSRP because the government bought it for that much. Yeah. And you don't pay for what, what you could get it on the civilian market. You've got to pay what they pay for it. Uh, plot twist, go to the local army Navy surplus store and buy what's missing. Cause it's cheaper for you people. That's good life advice. Did, however, don't buy any sensitive items like night vision or uh, plate carriers or stuff like that. Cause that's a CID sting. Yeah. And if you lost those, you're pretty much effed already. So just bend over and kiss your keister goodbye. Cause yeah, they're going to get you long arm of the law. They do the same thing, uh, in, and I live in a Navy town, so, like, if you're selling the wrong kind of metal scraps, like, and they're willing to buy it, yeah, that's that's Navy Sting as well, Navy CID, because uh, you're not supposed to be able to take that out of the trash cans there, because it's, <laughs> I don't know why, but somebody tried it, it made the local news a couple years ago, right before COVID hit, so. Yeah. When I first got to Fort Riley, the um, there was a CID, like, looking for more information up, but uh, they shut down 4th Brigade over there. And they had lost a couple 320 launchers and a uh, 240 Bravo. Oh, good God. How did that happen? Uh, they were shutting down the entire brigade. So it, it ended up in like that gray area when they were decommissioning all the brigades and moving everything from it to other places. 
I, I think they finally found at least two or three of those things under a bridge somewhere. Someone was legitimately trying to move it and take it home. I mean, I can respect the grift. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I could could have taken my rifle home, I would have. So the um, since we talked about writing, and we normally would end the podcast with this as one of the topics for the writers. So you guys obviously write aliens and magical creatures if you're writing sci-fi and fantasy. So when creating them, how do you do it? Do you let nightmares inspire you? Do you let Mother Nature, m- legends, myths, lore? Like, what what's your inspiration when you create these fictional beings, Matt? A lot of the time, I'm uh, going over. I obsess over a single topic, and that usually expands uh, out from itself. So usually, the characters themselves are usually obsessed with something, just because that how my, that's how my brain works. And also, like cryptic symbolism in my dreams, same as the actual uh, the the title of the our podcast. Yet another writing podcast uh, came from Yop, which is uh, the uh, Dead Poet Society. The poem that he reads in there with the where Robin Williams reads it to Ethan Hawke, like a barbaric Yop. And while I was uh, in bed one day, I was like, "Oh, that would make a great uh, a backronym." Yeah. What about you, Adam? For aliens and stuff, uh, it's a little mixed up. Some some of it's some of it's from nightmares, and uh, some of it's from like mythology that I kind of picked up from books and movies I consumed growing up. Um, Star Trek influenced a lot of uh, how I see other alien races, which for them it was because we didn't have a budget to make you know uh, fluid living beings, but you know we'll stick a guy in a costume and prosthetics. and also like forehead minor, ridge like, of the week yeah forehead ridge of the week uh also like on sort of a, a religious note i'd always been exposed to like you know the bible and other stuff and like i remember to comment somewhere about like uh oh uh, like you know if you know like a deity created the universe and we're creating their image yada yada then it would stand to reason that any other being might share similar features but you know we don't really know what he looks like so i thought to myself eh, two arms two legs two eyes you know, ballpark range. Yeah. And then there's the joke about uh, uh, lore accurate angels from the Old Testament. Oh, yeah. Those are amazing. Yeah. Go on. I don't know this joke. Oh, well, I mean, if you just look up uh, biblically accurate angels and they look like know, uh, spinning wheels and chariots with eyes and stuff like that. Yeah. There's Lots a, of there's... wings, like seven plus wings. Interesting. I shall have to check this out in the uh, post-production because I haven't seen any of that. I am not a biblical scholar. Okay. What about you, Jonathan? What's your, uh, what's your modus operandi when you're creating these fictional beings? Um, Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of, I have pretty vivid dreams fairly often, so I'll I'll write them down and such. Uh, But recently I just wrote a a horror story, short story. And um, and, you know, like I was talking about how in high school and such, I would just tell my stories. So that's kind of how I do it today. Um, like uh, I was soundboarding with my sister and I was just describing, hey, wouldn't it be cool if this, this and this. And then as I just keep talking about it, it would morph and morph and morph until it distills into something that that I'm I'm happy with. Um, so like I started with a, a ripoff of a Wendigo and then it was like, no, no, I don't want to do that. Um, and so I, I changed it from a deer skull to a jackal skull, you know, and I gave it some like, uh, you know, some stupidly long claws. And then I gave it a superpower that um, really I was just asking, like, what's, what would be 
like uh not just physically horrific but um philosophically horrific you know um uh blah 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 anyway um so short answer is is i just talk it out usually and after soundboarding for a while i'll finally distill something that i like okay all right so um since this is a podcast about your podcast is about writing but most writers i know i've never met a single writer that wasn't also a reader what are you guys reading right now well hyperion I mean, oh yeah we mentioned that one but i'm assuming that's not the only thing you're reading no no um, so yeah. since i'm talking I'll, I'll keep talking um i'm reading some political books like witness by whitaker chambers um but then i was also listening to uh uh oh i forgot the name of the series here's someone else go while i remember uh yeah hyperion so i'm actually probably the furthest along in our group right now i've got the, the third out of four books I've also got a uh, Dahlgren by Samuel R. Delaney in the pipe. Uh, that one's extremely literary. Uh, he does some stuff with the prose that's extremely like lurid and like when you say it out loud, it actually does. It has a certain texture to it. Uh, otherwise, I've been kind of dabbling in a nonfiction on the side of uh, exercise. Been doing uh, uh, becoming the supple leopard, which is a book on stretching and just getting better mobility and uh, overcoming gravity, which is about uh, uh, body weight fitness. Okay. And um, what about you, Adam? I don't think you've gone yet. Uh, I've been reading Hyperion, uh, but on the side, I've been reading uh, some sci-fi, some nonfiction, uh, reading, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the title, uh, a book that Matt loaned me called Green Eyes and Black Rifles. Is that the name of the book, Jonathan? I mean, Matt? Uh, yeah, it's Green Eyes and Black Rifles by uh, Sergeant Major Kyle Lamb. Yeah. He's uh, He was one of the ODA operators over in uh, Somalia when that one went down. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Uh, so it's his autobiography of his time in Somalia? No, it's actually an instructional book on how to use your rifle. <laughs> oh, huh, okay. Yeah. Uh, in line with Don't us. Don't forget like, to breathe. Yeah. And <laughs> in line with us, like talking about bringing on people onto our podcast interview and like also just doing, you know, some research to know how like certain things work out in the field for writing purposes. Oh, okay. That, that's smart. All right. So um, I'm all over the place with reading, but mostly it's been um, books on canning, like how to do it better, how to store it, um, homesteading skills. Cause in, in my dream world, I sell a bazillion books so I can buy a homestead out in BF nowhere that somehow will also, you know, because reasons have internet. Start I, I just, yeah, I just, uh, I, I, people have, I've had enough peopling in my life and I'm ready just to go off and be a hermit in the woods. Uh, mm -hmm. John Rambo had it right, right? Just, just build your hut in the woods and do your thing and just let the world do what the world's going to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, my therapist would call that a bad coping strategy, but what does she know? <laughs> I mean, so yeah, that's what I've been reading a lot of skill books. And, uh, and I think if you're going to write fantasy, some of those homesteading type books, um, could be useful to you because that's the one thing modern writers might not realize is some of those little tricks. And then yeah. they'll, they'll regurgitate. It seems like the, every fantasy writer uses the same book of skills and they repeat the same advice about like, Oh, look on the North side of the tree. And this means this. And I'm like, well, not always. And uh, it only right. works if your hemisphere operates exactly as ours. Yep. Sometimes you just stick a seed in dirt and stuff grows. Wow. <laughs> I know. Unless I stick it in the dirt and then everything dies. 
because um, <laughs> this is year four and I have yet to have a successful grow in my garden. But I keep trying, damn it. Yeah. More more plants will be sacrificed along the road. <laughs> you just to gotta the, get uh, good. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> From yeah. the Hanley trenches where I bury all my dead. Um, <laughs> oh, those make those make pretty good fertilizer. Yeah, so the the old meme you just gotta bury um, or bury them and then plant uh, an endangered species plant on top of it so they can never dig it up. Yeah, <laughs> Ooh. I don't know that that works in real life because you could dig it up without killing it and then re replant like replant it, transplant it, whatever. Well, but it sounds cool. It's like the uh, California poppy that's actually like it's illegal to even try and move it until the EPA has done an investigation on the site. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, a yeah. prank I pulled on one of my friend's uh, neighbors. Uh, she was, this is in an HOA, and she was the HOA Karen. And so we drew a very phallic symbol with poppy seeds in her front yard. And as far as I know, it's still there to this day, which was, that was like in high school, which was like, year, like years ago. <laughs> that is yeah. gloriously evil, and I'm here for it. Yeah, and because the poppies bloom uh, every so often, there's this big, bright orange phallic shape in her yard. So yeah, no, every time I call my friend, I was like, hey, is it still there? He's like, yeah, it's still there. You should get pictures of it for reasons. Yeah. <laughs> In bloom, of course. Right. When the when the phallic object is happy to see you. Yeah. <laughs> when they're getting good. I, I, I couldn't resist. <laughs> yeah. You know, the infantry in me said I had to make that joke. Yeah. I've actually yet I to did... see anything in a book about people shooting azimuth and doing proper land nav either. So there's something for you. Yeah, and the one thing that's universal constant is, you know, army and dick jokes because, like, even the Hadrian's Wall, they're surviving, like, gra graffiti of, like, the the enlisted privates, like, drawing penis. Now, admittedly, back then, that was also, like, a, a good luck charm for fertility, but still, like, <laughs> right. young, men, young men are going to do what young men do, and it doesn't matter if they're in 2000 BC or 4000 ADE, right? Like, I, it's, it's going to happen. Yeah, the even human in, condition hasn't really changed. No, it hasn't. The toys have changed, but that's about it. Because even in Rome, there's like graffiti carvings of you know phallic rocket ships <laughs> that they figured out. Oh yeah, no, probably some young soldiers like oh, I'm bored. Let's do this. Yep. Yeah, and some of the graffiti that survived when they um, they uh, excavated Pompeii. Yep. Oh yeah. Uh, and Most I'm like, oh, were so actually signposts to whorehouses. They figured out. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, follow yep. the dicks, and you'll get to the whorehouse. I mean, you know, soldier's going to do what a soldier's going to do, right? Um, I wonder what they did before they had George Washington on the $1 bills to pass out. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Because you can't exactly stick a gold dinar or whatever the, the Roman coin was called in a G-string the same way a dollar bill works. So, did man, now I've got a tangent. Yeah, I'm going to make it hail. Yeah, I'm going to make it hail. <laughs> like, like an arcade machine. Just put it in the slot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, that's that's uh works for for all genders people because I mean ears and mouths are holes too right so we're just going to move on from that <laughs> and um how about those cowboys so all right so, so before we go any more absurd because sometimes you just can't take the barracks out of the army um we're winding down but before we wrap up was there anything about your podcast and about you guys as writers that you wanted to talk about uh, as of the moment, our release schedule is every other Wednesday. So just, you know, stay tuned. And we're available on Spotify, Amazon, uh, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio at the moment. Hopefully to more soon. Okay. And YouTube eventually. 
All right. Um, before we let you go, I, I know I said it earlier, but I'm going to say it again because it bears repeating, dear listener. But please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right book. So do your part, people. And uh, if you read their anthologies, because most people that, that review anthologies just say, this here is a good book. And that that's good, too. But uh, if you want to give a shout out to the stories you like specifically, that works. So if Matt Olderall, oh, man, I butchered it. I'm sorry, Matt. Uh, Adam Stevens or Jonathan Watson had stories in that anthology that you absolutely adored. Write that specifically in the in the comment section because, you know, it's, it's always gratifying to hear someone like what you're doing. So. Uh, with that being said, Matt, can you tell listeners and readers how listeners and viewers how they can find you? Uh, yeah, I have an Amazon author page by a much easier to spell name. You can find me at uh, the Amazon slash uh, Kilroy Higgins, K I L R O Y H I G G I N S. Why Kilroy? So that's actually a name I came up with in the seventh grade. Uh, and, you know, the old Kilroy was here meme, and I've been using it ever right. since. And uh, my my last name confuses and befuddles many people, so it's 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 been nice having that. So um, you you obviously publish under Matt because yep. I know I published you, but but so your actual KDP account is the Kilroy Higgins. Yeah, so uh, okay. I, I I have the that's uh, where the URL goes. So like it, it leads to my real name, so it's just the author page URL is uh, tied to that. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, I, I thought your last. French, so I, <laughs> I tried oh, yeah. to do the the Frenchy French uh, pronunciation, but I'm horrible at pronouncing anyway. Yeah. Um, I get a get out of jail free card because I'm I'm hard of hearing after so many explosions and head injuries um, that you know I can pretend like oh talking in my good ear the war right what because uh -huh. <laughs> I know some people get offended when you mispronounce their name and I, I get it like you don't know how many times that they made uh, jokes about self gratification when my last name is Handley in the army but. Mm. Yeah, dude, uh, I was Corporal O. <laughs> I was on active duty. Yeah, I can, that was I it. can see that. <laughs> I can see that. So so for people that want to try sounding along with their friends, how do you pronounce it one more time? It's Olaranot. Okay, I wasn't even close. Not even the same hip zip code. All right, what about you, Adam? Um, how can listeners and, and viewers find you? Uh, I am on Amazon. You can find me at amazon.com forward slash author forward slash AM Stevens. I also am on Facebook, have an author page there. And that is www.facebook.com forward slash author dot AM Stevens. Nice. Nice. And obviously yet another writing podcast um, as the um, uh, way to find you guys as well. Uh, and what about you, Jonathan? How can listeners and viewers find you as well? Uh, Amazon author page. Amazon.com slash author slash Jonathan dot Watson. So you guys haven't set up your own personal websites yet? Uh, no, not yet. Pending. Still new to the <laughs> new to the scene. That's fair. That's fair. So you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast, where you can discuss things, talk about interviews that we've did, talk about interviews you want us to do, books you want us to review, movies you want us to look at. Like we're open to suggestions. We're here for you, dear listener, dear viewer. So uh yeah, if you got if you got ideas, shoot us the shoot us a line. We're aiming to do more fireside chats in season three. 
So if there are topics you want us to ramble about and pretend we know what we're talking about, just uh, hit us up there too as well. We have a website over at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tech and tech blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades, where for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep the lights on. Um, or you can support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that is for the podcast, and I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated. They will drink until coffee pours out of their eyeballs. That's how much coffee they will drink, people. Um, I'm not sure what that would look like, but if we if, if it happens, we'll film it. Uh, and with that being said, Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For the absentee Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. So uh, I know it was a long one. I didn't plan on two hours, but I'll take it. It was fun. So uh, thank you guys for coming on. Yeah. Thanks yeah, it was a pleasure. Us. All right, and we uh, we're definitely willing to have you guys back talk about various things. If we got fireside chats coming up, if you want to suggest topics for fireside chats that are uh, more reader consumer focused, we definitely would love to uh, love to have you because we're always looking for new ideas. Yeah, sounds yeah. good. Thanks, man. All right, and it's.